find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out! Three! Two! Okay, welcome back to the show. Uh, we are Two True Freaks. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Chris Honeywell. We have a very special episode uh, in store for you guys today. Uh, we feel like you deserve it. You've been faithful. Uh, so tonight, we have our first guest freak, and I am very excited to introduce this person. Uh, Mark Buttrick graduated from the uh, University of Georgia with a degree in film and television production and started his career at the Walt Disney World Resort in April of 1996. There, Mark began at Epcot as a technician from 96 to 99, doing all the shows there. Then he moved over to being a stage manager at Epcot from 98 to 99 at Interventions in Future World. 
From there, he moved to what was then called the Disney MGM Studios. And, of course, now it's become the uh, Disney Hollywood Studios in April of 99 till uh, July of this year. So uh, just this month. Um, During that time, Mark has worked on an incredible array of attractions, uh, including the Voyage of the Little Mermaid, the Beauty and the Beast stage show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Play It!, uh, the Atmosphere, I believe that's sometimes called the Streetmosphere um, Actors, and Fantasmic, which is, that's an amazing show. Um, he has uh, also done several special events, including Star Tours Weekends, Super Soap uh, Weekends, The Wiggles, Johnny and the Sprites, which I'm not familiar with. Um, he opened the Bear in the Big Blue House show. And the Lights, Motors, Action, Extreme Stunts uh, show, uh, when it was imported from, I believe that was Disneyland Paris that came over for um, for the 50th uh, uh, birthday of uh, Disneyland uh, celebration, I believe that was. And uh, he has just recently moved to an exciting new attraction in Disney's Animal Kingdom Park that is receiving rave reviews, um, and we'll discuss that a little further on in the show. But the reason he's here tonight is uh, not too long ago um, the uh, fourth installment in the Indiana Jones series of films, uh, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, came out. And there was an awful lot of talk and a lot of different podcasts um, covering, you know, the history of Indiana Jones. And they seemed to pretty much cover everything. You know, there were reviews of all the original movies. There were reviews of the new movie when it finally hit. Um, I heard shows talk about the comics, you know, the different ones, the Marvel, the Dark Horse, um, the books, um, just everything under the sun. But I never heard anybody talk about uh, the fact that Indiana Jones, much like Star Wars before it, inspired Disney theme park attractions. Um, Mark was the stage manager for the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular at the Disney Hollywood Studios at the Walt Disney World Resort. And uh, I find that very exciting. I think that's uh, 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 just really cool. And we wanted to talk to Mark about that, amongst other things, and uh, and about his new job and just whatever the heck he wants to talk about. Now, we are not normally a all-ages podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, uh, frequent with uh, four-letter words. But we're going to try to keep this one a little more family-friendly. Um, for the Disney crowd out there, I'm, uh, I'm hoping okay. that we get some spillover. Sorry to, to spring that on you out of the blue like that, Chris. I, can... I meant to say, meant to say that earlier. Hey, man, I've done real radio where I've had to fear for my life and my pocketbook from the FCC. So you know, <laughs> this is this is really a reminder to myself. To yes, watch exactly. My show. Um, so please uh, welcome to uh, the show, my very good friend Mark Buttrick. Hi, Mark. Hello. How you doing? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Hey, just great. Just great. We are so excited to have you here tonight. Um, so I guess we'll get right into this. Um, we're going to be very free-flowing, um, you know, whatever you want to talk about. Um, I guess right off the bat is I, I've always been curious, how did you get started um, with, uh, with Disney? Well, uh, let's see. Well, I guess you could say I got started right at the very beginning, um, being born down here in Florida. Uh, always came to Disney. We, we lived in St. Augustine, so we would come to Disney um, from the very beginning. I was born in 73, so Disney was uh, about a year and a half old yeah, already. Yeah. And uh, so we would come over 
and uh, stay at Fort Wilderness Campground and um, just take the boat over and enjoy the Magic Kingdom. So I fell in love with Disney from the very beginning. Uh, but then we moved to Atlanta, and I grew up in Atlanta uh, and uh, ended up going to school at the University of Georgia. And uh, I actually started out there as a uh, music major. Uh, always wanted to compose music for films and uh, ended up getting my degree in film and television production. And while I was in college, I actually did a 30-minute uh, news program every day that went on air live. And I was the technical director for it, and I did audio and the over-the-shoulder graphic boxes like you see on the news programs. And then uh, during the show, I was the actual technical director calling all the camera shots and that kind of stuff. So um, when I graduated, I, uh, I was actually playing trombone in a production of Guys and Dolls out there in Atlanta and got the call from Disney to come down and interview. Um, so I came down to, to uh, Orlando and um, met up with the entertainment folks down, down here and uh, ended up getting a job as an audio technician over at Epcot. Um, and that was in uh, April of 96, which they were actually celebrating their 25th anniversary uh, that year. So that's when the castle was pink and it looked like a big Pepto-Bismol oh, bottle. Oh, yeah. Um, and, those, those, I, I had never been there during that time, but I've seen those pictures, and it does too. It looks like it's covered in Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, and uh, so then I—that—that's how I got started. So I actually came right right out of college and uh, been with the company now for um, twelve and a half years. That is that is really neat. So basically, this is this is something of a dream job. This is something that you always wanted to absolutely. do. Absolutely. Um, I always was a big fan of Disney and, um, and what it stands for and uh, its production values and core and what it means. And, uh, I mean, around the world, um, I think uh, McDonald's, I think, is number one for brand and Disney is number two. Or it might even go back and forth between the two companies. So uh, more people around the world know who Mickey Mouse is than, uh, I think, any other character or person. So that's kind of fun to be part of, actually. So you started so you, at Epcot, which uh, I, I know from knowing you and being your friend that, that that's not your favorite park. But uh, uh, tell us about that and, and basically what you did there and what, what followed up and you know just about that experience before you moved over to uh, the studios. So Epcot, you mean every person comes out tired, that park? <laughs> or every paycheck comes on Thursday? I like that one. I've heard that. I like that one. Uh, actually, um, Epcot uh, isn't necessarily one of my favorite parks to go as a guest, um, only because I'm more of a thrill ride kind of person. But um, I boo. love. What, what was that? I said boo. <laughs> no, that's just that's just the Disney purist in me. I know a lot of the purists are aren't crazy about kind of the uh, the thrill ride. Uh, uh, spin, I guess you could say that 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 the parks seem to be taking, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm starting to be won over. I, I don't want to tangent too much, but I'm starting to be won over because uh, I'm telling you they they've been knocking it out of the park with most of the thrill rides that they've done here recently. I know that uh, that me and my wife and and my kids absolutely love um, Expedition Everest over to the Animal Kingdom. Yeah. That that's an amazing piece of uh, of technology. And this is coming from a guy who uh, Chris I think can attest to this. I am mortally afraid of uh, of roller coasters. Yeah. I, I cannot stand them. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally like get the sweats and the shakes and. It comes. I don't want to go really into it, but it comes from having witnessed a horrible accident on a roller coaster when I was a kid, 
And so I, I really have, have worked hard to overcome that, that I guess you could call it a phobia. I remember but I, you I, used to I, love the movie Roller Coaster, though. I, oh, I do still love that movie. Yeah, I really do love that movie. But uh, And you love that score. Yes, yes. Well, see, that you, you mentioned about the music, and that, that's how you and I got to be friends, and that, that's what's really cool and, and why I introduced you as a, as a guest freak. You're definitely a freak in, in the nicest aspect, you know, in the nicest use of that word, like Chris and I refer, refer to ourselves as uh, two true freaks. In the sense that, you know, how we defined it in our first episode was basically a freak like us is anybody who feels like they grew up kind of off the beaten path, kind of, you know, so to speak. And and you're in that aspect, you know, you love John Williams and, well, many other composers, but really that's how you and I got to be friends. That's how I was introduced to you is that, oh, here's somebody that listens to your same kind of music, which was, you know, reading between the lines was, oh, so here's another freak that listens to the same crap you do, you know? And and I would debate on the word crap. But no, I mean, but that that's how other people I think perceive it. I've never really n- known anybody who listens to who doesn't listen to our, who's not into our kind of music that that doesn't look at it with kind of a you know looking down their nose attitude about it. You know, it, it's taken me a long time to when even you know like my my wife and my family over to my kind of music, but. Uh, but anyway, that's you know that's how I was introduced to you, and that that's really where I, I think our our friendship started out was just you know that we both were into the same kind of thing with uh, with John, especially John Williams. I mean, you're, I thought I was a huge John Williams fan, and I mean, you put me to shame, man. I mean, you've you've met the guy, and you know you've got I think everything he's done, and just really, really, really into that whole world. Where I'm more of, I collect the scores to the movies that I like basically is that that's basically where i come from in in collecting film scores whereas you basically whether you've seen it or not if it's john williams you know you've got to have it you've got to hear it is there another choice (laughs) well i mean i i've i've my cardinal rule has always been you know i don't even if i buy or download (laughs) a soundtrack i won't listen to it nine times out of ten until i've actually seen the movie and that's, I don't know, I guess that might be strange, but that's just me. I, I just, I prefer to, to know the story of the music, I guess you would say. See, I like to, I listen to the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull soundtrack before the movie came out to sort of get an idea of what the movie was like without getting anything specific detail-wise. I'm curious about that. Did did that color the movie for you? Because it definitely did for me. Um, when I listened to it, I said, "Well, I know there's a lot of action, and I could tell there were a lot of little um comedic asides and stuff." Because you know, there there's just those little flourishes mm-hmm. that say something funny's just happened or something like that, and it sounded very entertaining. And I remember like there were two or three cuts. That had a really weird sound to them. So, okay, there's the supernatural parts, you know. And one part I think that I remember, like, listening to the first time was uh, where they had uh, Harrison Ford strapped in the chair and they put the skull, aimed the skull at him and had him look into the skull's eyes. And then I was like, oh, here's a cheesy salsa piece, (laughs) you know. And I sort of knew where that was going. But it gave me a little idea for the feel of the movie without, you know, giving away anything about it. Because I didn't want to know anything. I wanted to really go into it fairly blind. 
Me too. Well, they've certainly gotten better at that. If you um, had bought the uh, soundtrack to the last Indiana Jones movie, the third one, The Last Crusade, uh, there's actually a track title on there called The Death of Somebody. So if you had bought the soundtrack like I had before the movie came out, <laughs> you kind of yep. got a spoiler yep. there. <laughs> the same, with, same with episode one of Star Wars. Yes. I remember reading that on some John Williams site that he's actually um, gone out of his way to change his methodology with naming the tracks on his albums because he's gotten so much flack over the years for that very thing. I, I thought that was really interesting that he acknowledged that. Well, and he also puts his film score, and I know we're definitely going up on a tangent, but um, he puts his, um, his, his film scores are, are more done to be a listening style so they're not in film order like the first track of the cd might not be the opening credits of the film and the second track might not be what happens second in the film um he puts it in so that when you're listening to it uh it all flows and becomes uh so you might have some interesting things and you might have some slower things and then you end with a bang uh so that it keeps your interest as opposed to listening to it in, in the movie order uh, which isn't done normally. Most of the scores are done in, in film order. So he does it more as a presentation, which is different. Now, I'll ask now the I'll same ask, question that I asked, uh, that I asked Chris. Um, did listening to that soundtrack color your perception? Uh, did you hear it before the movie came out? Yes, did I did. Did you listen oh, yeah. to it? The, the soundtrack, all John Williams' uh, soundtracks come out before the movie does, which is unusual. Now, um, did it color your perceptions of the movie before you saw it? Uh, well, I have to admit that I wasn't a, a big fan of the score when I first heard it. Um, so I'm like, ooh, this doesn't bode well for the movie. Yes, and yes, uh, that's that that exact reaction. But I have to tell you, it's growing on me after having seen the movie and listening to it again. And of course, you know, it happens to a lot of people. You know, you're so excited about the last Harry Potter book, or, you know, you're so excited about the new X Files movie coming out, and you have this high, ex- or the Batman movie, you have this high expectation, very high expectation. And so you finally get it, and it's very, very hard to exceed those high expectations, so that even though it might be good at first, you don't feel that that way because it's let you down from your expectations. And I think because John Williams hasn't done a movie in three years, um, I had really high expectations of the score, and uh, I think it was a letdown for me at first. But after having heard it and let it digest, I actually do enjoy the score a lot more now um, than I did at first. You said you said the you said the you said the G word, so I'm I'm not going to let you get off the hook on this. Now, as happy as I am that you're here, and as good a friend as you are, I can't believe you threw us over to go see Batman. Instead of coming uh, out and doing the show last weekend, but uh, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, but I'm just curious. What what did you think of uh, of Dark Knight? Well, first of all, I went and saw it on IMAX. So there's a big difference of just going to go see it versus going to see an IMAX. You suck. I have to tell you that was amazing. And speaking of Disney, being a Disney customer, you get all kinds of. Uh, nice incentive so we got a nice discount and it only cost us ten dollars to see it on opening weekend at 10 p.m on imax you can't even see it for 10 bucks in a regular theater is that over at uh oh i can't think of the name of it you know like we're pleasure island and all that is that the theater that has the imax doesn't have the imax no the one with the imax is um at point orlando down on international drive oh okay it's universal studios oh not it's not in Universal Studios. Now, I would imagine that you could watch, you know, Garfield two on the IMAX, and it would be pretty cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, the neat thing about the IMAX theater, though, is, you know, obviously the first thing you think of is that the huge, you know, five-story picture or whatever. But I need to tell you that one of the best things for me about going to an IMAX is the sound. The yes. sound yes. so much better than any other theater I've ever been in. Have you seen movies in IMAX, Chris? We've got an IMAX right here in Rochester, my friend. You guys suck. I'm in the image capital of the world. What can I say? It's the land where Kodak started here. Ah, you know, what? I live 40 minutes outside of Atlanta, and we don't have an IMAX here. Yes, you do. George. Where? You've got it at the Science Center, I believe, and I think yeah, there's... That's, yeah, I, that's the only one I've ever seen is I saw one at the... At, uh, what is that, Fernbank? Yeah, I did see one at, at Fernbank one time. It was some crappy thing about transistors, or, or no, uh, what do you call it, uh, microchips. Yeah, what? that's the only one. No, there is there is one though. I lie. There's one that's up at uh, at the mall of Georgia. It's just that's just a hike from here. It's a distance, but yeah, I do plan to make it up there one of these days. And I kicked myself for never getting up there when they had uh, uh, Attack of the Clones up there. I really wish I'd seen that in IMAX. That I saw been awesome. that. <sighs> and guess what? They cut out all the worst stuff in the movie because an IMAX um, film reel can only be so big. So it can only, the movie can only be so long. So they had to cut a good 22 minutes out of that. So they cut most of the romance and the exposition out of it, and it ran. So the IMAX cut of Attack of the Clones was so much smoother and action-packed. It looked really nice on the IMAX screen. Although the digital effects, the CGI in it, it's still... with the. The, the higher quality you watch that stuff in, the more it starts looking like green screens to me, and it, the more canned it looks. I like watching the sort of crappy bootlegs that came out of the cams, where it would sort of fuzz it up a little bit, and smooth it out and make it look a little more like reality. But, I, but it looked really good on it. I mean... Come on, I, episode three would have looked really good on the IMAX. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they did that one at the IMAX. I don't remember seeing anything about that. I don't think they could have cut. Tw- I don't think they would have wanted to cut twenty minutes out of it. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, it's uh, we're tangenting like crazy, which is what we're all about, I guess, really. But uh, let's let's just just to add to on. that one oh, last kiss. thing. I will uh-huh. be I will be watching Clone Wars on the IMAX. I'm sure. Why am I friends with you guys? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll expect my uh, my bus ticket in the mail to come up and join you for that. We've um, been asking ourselves why we're friends with you as well. You probably you pro- have too. You oh. should have seen him in high school, man. Uh, our principal, no, our no, principal loved him. Oh yeah, yeah, we were best buds. We were. All right, so getting back on track here. So um, after Epcot. You went uh, pretty much straight over to the studios. Yep. Okay. Went okay. Over at Little Mermaid. So I, I I have been remiss in doing my homework, but at looking at some web pages and you know how reliable the internet is for its information, I'm seeing here that uh, that actually the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular went down for a. Uh, I don't know if it was so much as a, a refurb as just a kind of a embellishment or whatever in 2000 so you came on just prior to that right um well i didn't start at indiana jones when i came to the studios i started over at mermaid but yes um oh, indiana oh, jones okay. did go down for a rehab in 2000 um that was it was 10 years old at that point and uh they needed to um just kind of you know update 
the systems and the cables and um, you know give it a, a facelift after 10 years. It's actually um, 19 years old this year, which uh, which is very funny because we can actually hire people now that were born after the show <laughs> opened. Wow! Um, and wow. we do we have we have a picture of one of our um, cast members who uh, is, in, is in the show. Uh, coming as a child and shaking the hand of one of our Indiana Jones performers. Oh, wow. Now, that is cool. He's an Indiana Jones performer. Now, speaking of Indiana Jones performers, I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's Disneyland that's actually doing like a an Indiana Jones streetmosphere type of thing right now. Do you know anything about that? Not enough to really talk about. I know that they are doing a new thing out there. Of course, they have the ride, which is awesome. Yeah. The yeah. Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Uh, and now, they for, now are, for any, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mark. Um, for any of our listeners who have only experienced um, Walt Disney World and and never experienced Disneyland, and, I, and I'm among them, sadly, I've not made it out to Disneyland. If you've ridden Dinosaur, or uh, it used to be called uh, Countdown to Extinction, the ride vehicle in that attraction is actually based on is is basically ported over from the Indiana Jones attraction out in Disneyland. So it, it is the same ride system and ride vehicle. Um, it's just used. I'm sorry? But not nearly as good. That, that's what I've heard. I wish I could do that Indiana Jones. It looks amazing. It really looks cool. But uh, I've ridden it at Disneyland, not to rub it in, but I'm going to. I rode it at Disneyland, and I also rode it at Tokyo Disney Sea. And it's an amazing ride. It really is. And, of course, you have John Williams' score playing throughout the whole ride, which, you know, really makes it awesome. Now, I was going to ask you about that because, um, well, also, um, I, there's so many thoughts going through. So many things I want to ask you about. Um, well, for one thing, you've been to all of the Disney parks worldwide except the very newest one, right? Yeah, I have not made it to Hong Kong yet. <sighs> I came close. I almost went and opened it. But um, I didn't go at the last minute. I don't know. I don't know. Say that's cool or you suck. I'm so jealous. Uh. <laughs> but uh, um, oh god, where was I? Oh, Indiana Jones, or I mean, uh, Mar- uh John Williams, rather. Um, that was actually one of the questions I had, and I, I don't want this to sound mean spirited, but when I think about working down there, the the one thing that kind of always creeps up in the back of my mind is. You know, I, I've got this ADD thing, right? You know, I get bored really easily. You know, my, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I have trouble like doing the same job over and over, and you know that repetition. Now, does that wear on you? I mean, when you do a show like, say, Little Mermaid or Indiana Jones or something like that, where it's basically it's the same thing several times a day, over and over and over again. Does does it wear on you, or does that? Like working like something Indiana Jones where it's got music by somebody that you love so much. I mean, does that kind of take the edge off of it a little bit? Um, well, first of all, it's different for each thing that you do. But um, my little Disney plug that I'll put in here is um, that's one of the best things about Disney is that they literally have every position you could ever want except for caretaker. And uh, if you start at a job and get bored with it, like say you come down and work in merchandise and you're like, okay, I'm ready to try something different, you could do anything. I mean, animal keeper, um, records and research, uh, merchandise, food and beverage, all that. But we have everything, um, music librarian, um, all kinds of jobs that you can do. Um, that's what's so awesome about Disney. But to get back to your specific question, um, 
after you do a show for so long, depending on the show and depending on the intricacies and the complexity of it, um, it, it can, just like anything, it can get to you. Um, Mermaid was a great show, uh, and I loved it there. I was there for three years, so that got to be a little long. And you're also in this, for anyone who, who has seen the show, you know that it's, uh, it's a black light show, um, and it's dark. And so you're inside this cave all day long, and that can, you know, get to you a little bit. Um, but no, through my 12 and a half years, I've done so many different shows. Uh, in Indiana Jones, uh, I was there for three and a half years, and uh, I could continue there for three more years. It's just an amazing show. Uh, and personally, you know, having John Williams score on that, you know, made it a challenge, you know, made it fun for me. Um, but the one thing that's really great about Indiana Jones, it's, it's a show that anything can happen. Um, and it's it's a supposedly film shoot. You're shooting, um, you know, an, you know, f- scenes from the first movie, um, and so you can stop that show at any point in time. If there's any ever any kind of issue, fix the issue, move around. Again, the show has been open for 19 years, so we've experienced almost everything that you could experience um, could have happened. So we've got so many workarounds. And as a guest, if we do our jobs correctly, you're sitting in the audience and you have no idea that we've just done you know four different modifications to the show. Uh, but that's what's so great and that's what keeps it interesting is you never, you never know what you're going to get and uh, so I, I loved it I think it's a great show you see that you that, see that that is my greatest is my fear gr- of what would happen if I ever went to to Disney World is just to see it I'm the kind of guy I'm really interested in behind the scenes of things and I know if I went there I'd be like putting in an application <laughs> within a month probably to, to work down there because I would just have to see how everything works, especially if it's as immersive as, as Scott is, and other people have told me. Like That's why I will not go to a Renaissance fair because I just know it's not going to push me over that that sense of disbelief where I'm going to actually believe I'm in Renaissance times. You know, I've seen pictures of it. The, the buildings are made of plywood and, you know, people are speaking with whatever accent they're best at, you know, and I, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work for me, but I know Disneyland is specifically engineered to, to completely immerse you in whatever, whatever world you happen to be in. I cannot wait well, you know, where I live, I, I'm literally about 40 minutes from Six Flags over Georgia. And while it's never been, you know, my favorite, I'm not a thrill ride guy to begin with, but while it's never been my favorite place to go, you know, we would take the kids from time kids, to time. Yeah. We, we, had a, we had a season pass one or two years, stuff like that. But I'm telling you, and this is not a negative, this is no way a slam on Disney. They do it best. They do it perfect. And they do it right. We've never had a bad visit, and we've been many times. You know, we've never had a bad experience of any kind. But I'm telling you, it totally. I mean, I, I can't go to Six Flags, and I can't go there because it's not Disney World. It's not clean. The people aren't friendly. They're not clean cut. They're not professional. They're not. They're just not disney standard and and it's destroyed my ability to go anywhere but disney for that kind of an experience you know what i mean and and like like i say that that sounds like a negative but it's really not it's really the greatest compliment well people that seem to have a problem with disney 
seem to have a problem with the, the element of control that Disney exerts over everything about it. But that's exactly why Disney succeeds, you know. Is exactly. It, is they, they have figured out what they want to do, and they're making sure that it gets done. And that's why you, that's why you pay the big bucks to go to, to Disney World, because... It delivers on its promise, which so few things. I never being there, you know. I but from what I've heard, you know, it, it delivers on 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 your expectations of going into it, and probably surpasses them, which is a rare thing. Absolutely, they do. All right, Mark, uh, you, you are you you up for a break? Or are you ready to keep going? I'm good. Okay. Well, well actually, no. I think we should take a break now. Anyway, we're about a half hour point, and just okay. pop back in. All righty. And we'll throw in some stupid clip of Whoa. some <laughs> horrible song or or. You should super play um, a track super. from the Indiana Jones movie. There you go. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so it shall be done. We'll be right back.
Ready. Okay. All right. We are back from break. And uh, all right, Mark, are you ready for the tough questions? Yes. <laughs> all right. So uh, for the sake of our listeners and Chris, who um, have never been down there and, and had the privilege of seeing this attraction, can you can you kind of give us like just a... You know, just a brief rundown. Basically, what is the Indiana Jones uh, Epic Stunt Spectacular? Well, first of all, it's a show, not an attraction. You keep mentioning that, just so you know. Okay, okay. Um, but it's a uh, 30 to 40 minute show um, that's based on the first movie. And uh, we basically show you uh, how certain scenes were filmed. Please stand by as we deal with this brief technical difficulty. Anyway, where was... Oh, Indiana Jones. So, um, we have three scenes to the show. Scene one is the Mayan temple scene, which is at the beginning of the movie, where the the, uh, great ball... Uh, rolls over Indiana Jones. Uh, the second scene is the Cairo scene, which is the scene in the movie where Indiana Jones, uh, actually Marion gets kidnapped and taken by the uh, the Cairo street urchins, and um, the the big giant dude comes out with a sword and starts spinning the sword, and Indiana Jones shoots him, which has become a classic scene from the movie. And then the third scene of the show is um, from the end of the movie, where Indian Marion are trying to fly out of the uh, desert scene and um, they meet that big giant on top of the plane and Indian the giant battle the plane and the giant gets his head cut off by the propellers of the plane and and then the whole area around it explodes due to the uh, fuel leak from the fuel truck uh, and so we have that um, as our third scene of the show uh, if you tend to see the show um, on a rainy day um, you probably won't see that third scene so Try and come to the show when it's not raining or lightning. Cool, cool. Now, I, uh, I, now, uh, I'm not I, a big um, show guy. Now, you said show. What, what is the distinction between a show and an attraction? Because I, I wasn't aware there really was. I thought they were basically synonymous terms. Are they not? No, basically, um, an attraction is your rides. So, okay. like Star Tours, Tower of Terror, Rock and Roller Coaster, Peter Pan, those are attractions. Shows are live entertainment shows with uh, a live cast performing roles. I got gotcha. you. Okay, so with that distinction, I, I, I'll, I'll make the the confession. I'm not a big show guy, but I like this attraction. I, I like it on a lot of levels. I, I think the 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 quality of it really is what makes it for me. I mean, it really is like. You really feel like you're you're watching the movie being made. You know, it's it, a lot of these kind of things. You know, non Disney versions come off kind of cheesy. You know, I, I remember there being one over at Universal years ago. It was some sort of like Western thing, and it was all right. But I mean, it, it was your typical little stunt show. You know, they had a few falls and a few gags, and that was about it. Whereas this is really top notch, and that's that's what I like about it. But uh, I tell you, my my kids are the ones that really, really dig this, and I, I've always kind of wondered what that you know what it is they're seeing through through child eyes that really blows them away about this attraction. But I, I think it's really cool. Um, Don't forget, they've had a dad they've grown up with that has uh, you know treated Indian Jones as a god to them. So <laughs> <laughs> they're yeah, seeing yeah. 
what what made it so much in your eyes. And so I think that's probably partly what they see too. Which you know that's that's a lot. I mean, before this fourth movie came out, there was a huge span. I think what the third movie came out in 1989, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 19 years. So basically, the year that this attraction would have opened was was the last year that there was an Indiana Jones movie in theaters until the, this year. Exactly. So you have to think all these years, um, you know, these kids coming in because the DVD just came out like a year ago. Um, so they didn't really have, I guess it was on VHS, but um, it wasn't as popular as it is now. Um, but yet the show has endured uh, all this time. And um, we have people that come to the show, especially from different countries that don't know who Indiana Jones is. So they're seeing it from just purely a show entertainment standpoint versus the whole lexicon uh, mythology of, of the Indiana Jones stories. So I, th- I find that interesting is when they see our show and they're like, there's actually more to this than you know just the show. And I think that's really fun when I come across that. I like that. I like- because it reminds me of uh, of like Star Trek, you know. A lot of people forget, you know, with there being now what like five, six spinoffs of the original Trek. People seem to forget that there was a good, you know, ten year gap where we had no Star Trek between the end of the original series and Star Trek: The Motion Picture. There was like that, you know, that giant gap, and all you had was you know your books or whatever. And that's kind of why I wanted to cover this attraction really in depth with you, Mark, was that... You mean show? Show, I'm sorry. The show, you know, was one of those things like comics and like books that kept Indiana Jones alive for for so many people, you know, that that he didn't just fade away as a fond, you know, 80s recollection of, of people our age that, you know would just look back and remember, well, that was a cool thing in the eighties. You know, this, this kept it alive and, and kept it, you know, as a constant thing. And I think it's amazing that you could take something that was based on the very first movie of the trilogy, which was, what was that? 1981. And here it is 27 years later, and you can still go and see that show and, and really think it's, it's cool and it's fun. And, I like what I really like about it is there is a genuine sense of danger. I mean, the show opens, you know, for people who've never seen it or, or haven't seen it in a long time, the show opens where Indy literally like busts in almost like the, the like almost like the auditorium is a tomb. And isn't there like a small explosion or something, Mark, where there's like a rain of rocks and he comes like falling out of the ceiling on, on like a tether or something like that? On a rope. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, God, that's so cool. I mean, that, how, do you know how high that drop is? Oh, wow. Um, I would say a couple of stories. I mean, it's at least what? At least 50 feet, right? Well, a couple of stories would be like 20 feet. I don't know. It seems so much higher than that when you're watching it because it's way, you know, it's way above your head. But I it mean, could that, be, it could be, yeah, it could be somewhere 30 to 50 feet, I guess. I mean, but that, I mean, but that, I mean, just, I mean, that, just that, that's that, how that. the show starts, and that's what's cool to me is, I mean, that that's your opener, so you know you're in for an exciting show when the very first thing is, you know, here he comes, literally falling out of the ceiling. You know, that's really neat. And then uh, I like, uh, you know, he he hits the floor and goes through the the temple sequence and these these spikes. Now, this is one thing I wanted to ask you. I I don't want to get too much into the behind the magic stuff because. I, I'm I'm purely a Disney magic kind of guy. I, I that's one of the the things I'd be most afraid of if I actually worked there, like you do, is learning too much. You know what I mean, and spoiling mm-hmm. things for myself. 
But I, I, I have to ask you this. There's these pneumatic spikes that come out of the floor in the opening sequence that literally just about impale Indiana Jones. And I've always been curious, how dangerous is that really? I mean, if that guy screws up, if he's having a, an off day, how bad is his day going to get? <laughs> um, well, it's a good question. And actually, we've had people um, ask us that. Um and I don't think it's, you know, again, it's a, it's a live film shoot, so I don't think we're giving away any real magic. In fact, we, when we do special tours for guests or magical moments and, uh, and show a guest something about the show, I don't think we're giving away too much. Um, because again, it's a film shoot, so it's not meant to be real. It's meant to be, you know, what you would experience on a film. So, um, what we do for that is called the punji run. Those are called punjis, those spikes that come up out of the ground. And it takes, um, three people, have uh, have their hands in that pot to make sure that 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 scene happens and that it happens safely. It first starts with me, the stage manager, looking at that and uh, on a cue. Uh, for me, it's an audio cue with the music. Um, I inform one of my technicians that it's safe to enable that cue to happen, and uh, that technician is um, uh, what's called a show controller, and he sits at uh, he sits right in front of me in the booth in the theater. And uh, he has this console that um, that operates a lot of our moving pieces in the show, along with our pyrotechnics and that kind of thing. And um, so I first make sure that it's safe and that uh, things are going smoothly. And so I give the cue to enable that uh, that cue to happen. Then the operator, the show controller that I'm talking to, um, also looks for himself or herself to make sure that everything is safe on their end, that their board is operating correctly, and then they take that enable cue. So that now makes the, the punji field hot, which means it's ready to go. And now it's up to the indie performer, um, and there's little pads in the ground that he steps on to enable that punji to come up. So he, um, he then takes the cue when he is ready. Uh, sorry, am I boring you? Is Chris, is Chris asleep? No, it's not me. Well, that's weird. It sounds like a snoring, didn't it? I thought you were like drinking a... soda. <laughs> I literally thought somebody was snoring. I'm sorry, but no, it's not me. I'm fascinated. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the uh, the indie performer actually takes the uh, the cue himself to have the, uh, the, the punjis jump up at him. Um, on specific music cues of the show, and then he maneuvers through that punji minefield. Um, so he cannot step on it. If he feels like he's wavering or not ready to, or he's not in position, he doesn't step on it. Um, or if he, if he happens to trip or fall um, and then could fall into the path of one of the punjis coming up, if he were to hit it accidentally, um, the, uh, the uh, show control operator can take his finger. It's like kind of like a dead man switch. He's holding that that button down the whole time that uh -huh, Andy's going through uh -huh. this minefield, and he all he has to do is take his finger off of that button, and they won't go at all. Even if Indy steps on them, they won't go. So we have control as well, and uh, so that's how it's done safely. And uh, as it's trained and act, um, set to the music and done with the choreography, um, it just seems and looks very seamless to the audience. I believe, I it, believe was it was the last, last time um, um, we were at the, the, the uh, Indiana Jones um, show that 
my wife and, and my children, my two little boys, we actually got to meet the Indiana Jones performer. And it's one of the few times in my life I've ever seen my kids like totally just starstruck and speechless. Uh, so I, I don't, re I don't think they took away anything other than, wow, Indiana Jones. But I remember him, you know, in, in the brief meeting we had with him, he was a heck of a nice guy and he, he was walking us or, you know, talking us rather through that little sequence where he was talking about the, uh, the pads and all. And I thought that was really, really neat. I, I thought that was very interesting how he actually controls you know, that part of it, you know, for, for safety and that, I thought that was really a clever way to, to pull that off. Now, you know, you know, but you can't tell anyone. <laughs> you're, you're telling everyone, everyone, the, the, the tens of people that are listening to us. Yeah, know exactly. About it. I was going to say both of them. <laughs> so you tens of people out there, this is our secret. You can't share this with anyone. Well, I, I plan to throw this this open to uh, to some of the Disney shows that I listen to, and hopefully they'll pick it up and uh, and let their listeners know about this because I'm sure that you know Disney fans will will find this very interesting. Uh, I find now, it fascinating. fascinating. Now you 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 <laughs> you are. Uh, Mentioned your your title, stage manager, and I've always been curious. Now, what what exactly is a stage manager? I mean, what what is there? Are you the 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 big man on campus, so to speak, or what is that role exactly? Well, it's basically anything that they want it to be. Um, it's the uh, if we need this person to do this, we'll make it the stage manager role. Um, so, to answer your question, it um, for any given show, yes, I am the uh, the final person that makes any kind of call on this show uh, my job would be to come in in the morning make sure all of my technicians are there and we, we run a test show every day to make sure that uh, the sound system is working all the uh, moving cues are working uh, everything nothing seems out of the ordinary uh, we kind of run all the elements of a show without performers uh, and then um, anything that happens, we'll, we'll look at and fix or come up with a plan on what to do or to move around it. Then I check, make sure that all my cast are here. Um, again, it's very much like a Broadway show that you would see uh, in New York. And uh, I make sure all my cast are here. We communicate anything that needs to be shared with them. Um, obviously, safety is paramount. Uh, no pun intended, since Indiana Jones is a paramount movie. <laughs> Um, and then we go out and we do a show. Um, and that's what I call really what the stage manager portion of the job is. And, and, uh, my job is to keep the show quality at the highest level that it can to make sure that the show happens, um, for our guests to see the best show that they can see. Uh, and then I'm also involved with calling all of the cues to make sure that the show is seamless. So you as a guest, hopefully, uh, if we do our jobs correctly, um, you are sitting in the audience watching a show that could be the only time you've seen a show like that. We could have taken this element out and that element out or inserted this element or moved around this, but you would have no idea. Uh, and these things happen on the fly. It's not like sometimes we know in advance that this isn't going to happen, but most of the time we don't because you know everything's live and things happen. So we have to make calls on the spur of the moment and, uh, and make it – and hopefully we have it so that the show doesn't have to stop. And you just, as an audience member, don't know anything has been going on. And that's what we strive for every day. So uh, in a nutshell, that's 
what my job is. That's cool. That's cool because that, that, that kind of goes into a, another question on my list that I can, I can actually scrub, which was what is uh, the typical day in the life of a stage manager? It actually sounds like you don't really have a typical day, which I think that's neat. You know, that, well, that goes back to your earlier question about how can you do the same thing over and over again, and yeah. it's, again, it's different. Did you have any questions, uh, Chris? <laughs> well, I had one thing I wanted to throw in is we have this little thing about a half hour away from where I live. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, uh, Mark. It's called the Hill Camorra Festival. Uh, no, I haven't heard of that. It's um, it's, <clears throat> it's the whole history of the Mormon religion acted out in the you know myth- mythic. It's acted out on the hill. That's their mythical story of their epic battles and stuff. And uh, I have actually cousins who are Mormons and. I've done a lot of reading about Mormonism and stuff, and I find it just alternately frightening and hilarious, and the the whole mythology and story is crazy. But once a year for, I think they run it every night for about three weeks, is this gigantic show put together by all, like... Some of the people have worked for Disney, for Hollywood. It's all the Mormons pulling in all their connections that they have. And they put on this spectacular pageant show that spells out the whole history of Mormonism full of special effects and insane stunts and scene changes and talking trees of fire and um, a lot of water weird where they use water mist and lights and lasers to build whole walls of things and it's this crazy story that basically the gist of the story is if you don't listen to god he will kill you (laughs) well won't it that's basically it that's well that's about the only message that it conveys it doesn't have any like love thy neighbor stuff it's just basically like listen to god or your people will get wiped out, and here's how it happens, like, five times. And the sound system was... I, I think you would really, from the from the perspective of someone who's worked at Disney, because I, I think this is considered at the level of some of, you know, the highest level of this kind of production, and they're constantly updating the special effects. And, and a lot of the people are just sort of, like, Mormon kids who do it like summer camp. And they all dress mm-hmm. up in in uniform, but there's all other, you know there's the main actors and there's the actor who plays Jesus and there's the the stunt men who do they do stunts where they fall with bungee cords and and stunts where they're falling into water off waterfalls and so there's all different levels of and and all and all the dialogue is canned and everybody's lip syncing to this dialogue and this whole orchestra sounds like phantasmic, score. doesn't it, Mark? Uh, well, I mean, no, I mean not, like you know, like people falling and, and water mist effects and all. It sounds like phantasmic almost. Um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly definitely some comparison elements and things. Absolutely, we have um, water projectors, so the water screens we call them mist screens. They uh, they come out and uh, they actually project uh, animated film onto wow. the uh, water. Wow. Yeah, didn't Disney uh, come up with that technology? They, they originated that, didn't they? You know, uh, I, I couldn't say for certain, but it actually started with the Fantasmic show at Disneyland, um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them to say that was uh, that was probably initiated by Disney. Yeah, 
But I'm sorry, Chris. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, oh, I, I wasn't okay. sure where you were going with your story. No, I was just saying. I, I think that I, I would love. To, I would love to be able to just transport him here for a Hill Kimura festival to see it. It's it's great <laughs> because everybody's in their costumes and they come out and try to. They don't really try to recruit you as much as just sort of chit chat and get figure out why you're there and stuff. But they have all the actors in costume walking around, and I was there with my roommate and. I was like, so what do you think of these costumes? And she's like, some of them are very nice, some of them are just mass-produced. And I'm like, do you think you could make those mass-produced costumes? And she's like, oh yeah. So I have this whole fantasy of her making us, you know, peasant costumes. For and, and when it's time for the show, everybody in their costume literally run runs up onto stage and stands in a group. So if you had the costume and you go into a portajon and make a quick change and come out of the portajon, you know, with your shepherd outfit on, just in time, you could run right up on stage and get to see the whole thing <laughs> from behind the scenes. So that's my fantasy of what I wanted, what I would want to do. But I, I, I also have this fear that it would be like one of those, you know, religious cult movies where once you get backstage and they find out if you're an interloper that. They're going to set fire to you in your Winnebago. Exactly. <laughs> You'll have a ring of fire around your Winnebago. What? I just, I, I don't even, what movie is that? I saw the end of it. It's like, Race with the Devil, which I was taken to when I was about seven years old. That must have traumatized the Jesus you. out of me. I don't uh, know. That what explains a lot. Yeah, I don't, I'm oh. telling you, man. My, my life is one trauma after another. Back to your point about um, costumes, you know, that brings up a fun fact about Disney World is that um, I, I know Scott knows this, but um, for those that, that may not know Disney that well, um, everyone is uh, part of the show. So we're all called cast members, not employees. And everyone has an actual costume. And uh, Disney's very big on stories. And so we all have our own story and we all have our costume. And so because of that, Disney World actually has the largest wardrobe um, facility in the world because they have to uh, put costumes and create looks and different costumes for 65,000 cast members. Now, so that puts them in number one in the world for uh, costumes. Let, let me ask let, you let, this, Owen. What, is your character Mark the stage manager and – with a background, or do you actually have to, like, at some point play, you know, a character from, like, a soap opera or something that walks around and is in character? No. Uh, I am just a, a stage manager, an entertainment manager, so uh, I would be considered management, and I do that with the quotation marks. Right. So my right. costume is I have to, you know, wear professional attire every day. Um, as opposed to you know having an actual costume to wear, but they don't write um, a backstory for you for your for your real life, right? No, no, uh, -uh. nope. Oh, now, I know that <laughs> I know that when you're working, that that you know when you're actually in the parks, you know on the other side of the. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know what they're called. I'll call them employee do door or wall for for lack of the, the correct term. I know that that's what you guys call on stage, but. Have you ever been literally on stage in, in, in any sense in Disney World as far as like you were a performer in anything like Streetmosphere or anything like that? Um, no, I was a stage manager for Streetmosphere. Right, right. Uh, right. I, I knew that, but I, I was just curious if you were ever actually in that show yourself. Well, no, you know, we're, um, 
we're we're a union environment, so we have uh, actors' equity performers. Oh, okay. Um, that would be like um, the same people that would be up in Broadway. Those are yeah. actors' equity, and they would be our performers. Um, we also have technicians, uh, and our technicians belong to IATSE, which is like you'd see in films. You see the IATSE symbol. And uh, so they are the ones that run our lights and our audio and our sound and our pyrotechnics and that kind of thing. So um, I guess what I'm getting to is even if I had wanted to, I would have to you know, try out, audition, uh, be selected, and I would have to become an, uh, an equity performer to be a performer in one of our shows. Um, so uh, now, I'm a stage, now as a stage manager, of course, I've been on almost every stage that we have at Disney. Um, and sometimes I, I have to make announcements or introduce a show and things like that, but I've never been an actual performer in a show, no. Have you ever had, you ever any, had asp- any aspirations to get on the other side of the camera, so to speak, or are you content with being a, a, a behind-the-scenes kind of guy? You know, um, that's that's where I do my best work, I think, is behind the scenes. Um, to go off on a little tangent, one thing that's great about Disney is you know, it really is a big family and we have this group. Uh, it's a, it's a cast club. It's sponsored by Disney, and it's a cast club. It's called Encore Cast Choir and Orchestra, and we do a show every year, and it's all done for charity. And um, I play trombone for it. So we just uh, finished our concerts this week. That's why this week had been so was so tight for me um, because we did a rehearsals and a show every night. So for the past three nights, I've been performing over at Epcot in the World Showplace Pavilion and uh, Showcase Pavilion. And um, we've been performing all kinds of Broadway numbers um, from, ooh, let's see, The, the Wiz, um, uh, Hairspray uh, by Mark Shaman, as Scott, you know, is a big film composer. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, uh, gosh, Candide and um, just a plethora of cats, uh, all kinds of different shows. And we do this every year. Last year we did a film music one where we did um, – music and uh, songs from different films. Um, and so in that sense, I have been a performer because uh, I'm actually in the group and I play trombone for it. And uh, that's kind of rewarding and it gives them that artistic side and that gives them my chance to get that out once a year. So uh, the rest of the time I'm, I'm backstage. That's cool. That's cool. Um, um, I, I guess wrapping up uh, Indiana Jones and uh, – well, pretty much. I mean, covering covering everywhere you've been so far. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you you must have after all these years have some some really good, you know, personal stories, um, you know, special memories. Um, not necessarily asking you for any dirt, although you could, you know, feel free to to share that if you like. Um, you know, just any any really good memories and stories that that stand out to you about you know your years with Disney. Um, well, sure. Oh, gosh. But to, th- to think of them, let's see. Uh, obviously, the the stories that that I remember. Um, Are like, you hearing hear this? What's that? Are you hearing that noise? Are you hearing me okay? Yeah, I hear you fine. I keep hearing this weird noise. It's like a... I don't know. It sounds like a snore to me. There's but someone breathing. So, uh, maybe, yeah. there's somebody, maybe there's somebody... Uh... Oh, maybe maybe it's they're me. tapping our our phone. Phone. Maybe it's <laughs> Homeland Security. Maybe there was some combination of words we put together that triggered some computer. That's now there's some guy with like half fault who has to listen to this conversation. You know, thought it was a terrorist cell, and now he's like falling asleep. 
<laughs> sorry, dude. <laughs> if that's the case. Sorry, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. I totally did not mean to cut you off. I just that noise is driving me crazy. I keep thinking Chris is falling asleep. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, taking it from the top anyway. And it, it never ceases to amaze me when I look around and I see these families. And usually it's like the grandmother or the mother that just starts to cry. And it really puts it into perspective for you. And it also puts into perspective the power that Disney has. Um, is These people truly have saved up their whole life to come here from any country, even from in the United States, um, to save up every bit of money they have to come and enjoy this place and to get away from reality and uh they get here and it's like their dream you know they've they've lived their dream and they they just they they break down which is you know so good to see because it really makes me, me want to make sure when i go back to my job and we're trying to put that show on and everyone's tired and it's hot and it's 115 degrees out because it's an outside show and you just don't want to go do that show for the 15th time um, or the 2,000th time. You know, that really makes you want to go out there and do it, you know, 2,000 more times when you know what impact you have on, on these people and, and, you know, that they're here. To, this is their one time only in their life that they're going to get here. And, uh, and so that, you know, that, that's special and it's special to be a part of, of that. And it uh, it really helps you get through those times when you're just like, oh, let's just you know, got to make the donuts one more time. Yeah, that is that is that is really nice, Mark. Uh, that really is, and I I can tell you as someone who who you know I, I'm a yeah you know, I'm a big Disney fan, and I you know I'm like a sponge when it comes to like reading books about Disney World and stuff. But I tell you, you know, I'm I'm really just an outsider. I'm really just another person through the turnstile, and I can tell you that that you can feel that from the cast members and it does mean so much and uh i i know that you know for me personally one one of my my favorite most special memories with my my youngest son logan you know was was at walt disney world you know when he was really very little i remember just you know it really stands out in in vivid clarity in my mind we were on dumbo and this was not too long before park closing and it was very late at night, you know, so it was a very dark sky and all stars and everything. And we're riding Dumbo and way up in the air, you know, we went as high as the ride would go and all of the wishes fireworks were going off at that moment, you know, so we're way up in the air. It's a beautiful starry night, all these you know, booming, beautiful fireworks are going off all around us and everything. And, you know, the music is swelling and all that. And, and I, I've got my little one next to me. And I'm telling you, I, I just started to cry. You know, and that might sound really wussy, you know, a, a big guy like me, but it really hit me, you know. And I remember him kind of looking at me and he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And it was like, nothing's wrong. And it was like, er, er, you know, it's like that scene in uh, one of the Star Trek movies, you know, where the, where the woman asked Captain Picard, you know, have you ever experienced a perfect moment in time? And that for me was like my perfect moment in time. It just was, you know, it was just great, you know, and it was just totally Disney wish fulfillment. You know what I mean? Just a, a perfect moment with my child. And so, I mean, that, that extra effort that you put in to not simply just go make the donuts again today, you know, that, that really does count and it really does mean a lot to people and it means well, yeah. a lot. 
most moments like that, most people have, you know, if you're lucky, you know, you have enough of those moments to count on one hand, you know, in your entire right. life if you live to a ripe old age. So, you know, and, and one thing I've learned is uh, from performing or doing art and stuff is 99% of the time nobody pays attention to you. But, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's different at Disney, Disneyland or Disney World. Uh, but um, when you do affect somebody and you realize that, that you have have done that, that's like the most powerful thing to keep you going because, you know, it, w when you do that, it reminds you of the times when you were younger or the times when you were saw something that completely just sucked you in or captured your imagination or affected you somehow. And it's really neat to be on the other end of it. And I'm sure that's yeah. a lot of what keeps Disney going is when you go there, you see every day you see that. You're seeing yep. people at the high point of their lives a, a lot of the times. You know, everybody there is a, is just on, you know, all their pistons are firing in their brain at full, full bore and they're just overwhelmed and absorbed into it. It must be really great. And, you know, I think one of the things that... Um kind of going off of your point that that does make Disney a little bit different is that so many people have a job and they go in and they they do their job and it's a job it's there to give them money to support their lives and their families and then they go home and and uh that you know then they live their lives where you know everyone so many people that work for Disney it is not a job for them they work for Disney because of the feelings they had when they were children and they grew up with Disney and they have their feelings and their yeah. magical moments yeah. that they had, and they want to to do that for other people. And um, you know, it, it's that joy of, of doing that and and bringing that legacy, keeping that legacy going, that drives so many of us. And um, you know, it's just, it's not a job. We don't, you know, you could you you could be I could be a stage manager, and I could work on Broadway or in Vegas or somewhere else, and probably make more money than I make, but it doesn't have that other side of it and that other fulfillment to it. Um, and I think that's why a lot of us work for Disney is, you know, you just have so much fun and you get there and before you know it, it's like, oh my gosh, it's been nine, ten hours and I, I, I have to go. What do you mean I have to go? Uh, and I think that's what's great. And that's why the customers are so friendly is they truly are friendly and they, they truly want you to be a guest and to have the best vacation you possibly can have. And, uh, and I think that's what makes it special. You are... You are you're literally tearing me up, Mark. I mean it. <laughs> well, I, I do. I hope that all of you guys that work down there um, really know how much, you know, all of your guests uh, appreciate the job that you do. You know, I, I don't know if you guys really hear enough praise and, and hear it enough, you know, how much really, yes, I love to go and, and see the shows and ride the attractions and listen to the beautiful music and see the, the, you know, the gorgeous landscaping and all, but you know, the, the greatest looking theme park in the world is nothing without employees that, that make it a, a joyous experience. You know, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll use uh, our local park is a perfect example of that. You know, they've got, you know, multi-zillion dollar, thrill rides and I, I can't go in the doors, you know, I, I, I can't stomach the, the, the attitudes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that really does make 
all the difference uh, in in that experience. Um, we're going to break for uh, for one last quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, we'll wrap everything up with a couple more questions for you. And uh, I'm really itching to get into uh, your uh, reveal of some of the uh, really cool people that you've gotten to meet through your jobs at uh, Walt Disney World. I've met Chris. <laughs> That's true. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hello, this is Chris Honeywell from Two True Freaks, just reminding you that from our Libsyn blog page, you can find a link to our Two True Freaks forum page, where you can come and tell us what idiots we are, and you'll find a link to our MySpace page, where you can come and be friends with us, and then tell us what idiots we are, and then we have a link to our new YouTube page where you can come and see videos which prove what idiots we really are. Okay, well, we're back. We're back with uh, our friend Mark Buttrick talking about Walt Disney World. So, Mark... um. I know that you've uh, you've dropped some names to me over the years of uh, of some people you've gotten to meet through your work there. Um, wasn't uh, wasn't George Lucas one of them? Yep, sure was. Oh, man, man. Now, did you tell him I still want my money back for Episode One? Um, no. Okay. But I will tell you, he he actually was a really interesting man. Um, he he came. Uh, he comes to the. He actually enjoys the show, uh, and he was here. Um, Working on the um, the new Jedi Training Academy show that uh, we were putting up, and uh, so he came and saw the show, and he was sitting in our VIP section, and he had a baseball cap on, and he just looked so normal, and he was there with his son, and uh, they after the show was over, um, he just came out and chatted with with our cast, and just a very very nice man, and he. Uh, Someone asked him about the Indiana Jones Chronicles. And again, this was, you know, a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, around a year ago, I guess. And uh, he said that um, they were planning on releasing those on DVD and that they were being planned for around the time that the movie came out. So, and lo and behold, they sure did. They came out, you know, at the end of last year. So, uh, very, very, you know, just a good guy. And that's been my experience with most people that I've met is they truly are. And, of course, they're here for vacation. You know, they want to have fun, too, and, uh, and, and have their families enjoy them, th- themselves. So uh, we try not to invade on their vacationing either. But, um, you know, sometimes I get in the position where I get a chance to chat with them or work with them. And, uh, and he, was, he was just a, a real fun, fun guy, really down to earth, I think, too, which was great. I'm trying to think of some of the other names that, that I've heard you mention. And I, I want to say, was it Jeremy Bullock? And uh, and Anthony Daniels is that right, or or am I am I just thinking of Star Wars? We have them come down. I I don't think I really ever personally spoke with Jeremy Bullock, but um, I have met Anthony Daniels. Uh, spoke with him, worked with him on a show for Star Wars Weekends. Um, I I was also doing Millionaire. Uh, I was a stage manager for the Millionaire show, and um, for Star Wars Weekends, we did a uh, a Star Wars show, and. Um, the uh, actors would come in to kind of kick the show off each day, and uh, so I met. Um, are you saying are you, it's like a Star Wars version of Millionaire? 
Correct. Yeah, all the questions. Oh, God. Chris and I would have so cleaned up at that. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that, Chris? Who wants to be a millionaire Star Wars style? I want to be a millionaire Star Wars style, let me tell you. I don't think they give you much more than, like, pins or something, but still, that would still be awesome. I was stage managing one of the shows, and this is just one of those fun stories, and it truly shows the the level of fans for Star Wars. Um, it was a million-point question, so if the guy got the question right, he was going on a Disney cruise for four people, and all expenses paid. And the million-point que- million question was, um, and I don't remember it exactly, but it was something like in one of the Star Wars movies, what sector was Harrison? You know, what sector was Han Solo in in the Millennium Falcon at this such and such point? And I'm like, what? I don't even know what a sector is. <laughs> and um, the the uh, the host couldn't even get out the answers. Um, you know, like how you had A, B, C, and D. You know, A was one, two, three, four. Sector one, two, three, four. B was sector two, three, four, five. I bet yeah, I know what it was. It was probably the Anoat sector from Empire when when Leia asked where they were. It was it wasn't a name. It was a number. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And oh, this guy hmm. smiled, and before again before even the answers got you know got named, he's like, I know. It is sector 8204.a.1.2.3.544. And my dodge is dropping. He was 100% correct. And, oh, that's uh, cool. So he won, the, uh, he won the cruise, and I'm like, I will never underestimate the power of Star Wars fandom. Well, the, uh, well, the serial number on the trash compactor door was 3263827. So I could probably keep up. You know, I, I I could probably give them a decent run for their money at that at something like that. That guy was probably on the phone to his mom right after that, going, "I told you, mom, I told you." <laughs> See, watching that movie a hundred thousand times does pay off. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly cool. what these people did when they uh, <laughs> when they won. We had um, there's a lay that would come every year to Star Wars weekends, and her name. She actually literally changed her name to Skywalker. Her last name is Skywalker. Sure, sure. That's, that's um, you. <laughs> you know, and like David Prowse had come. He was, you know, Darth Vader. And I didn't meet him, but I've always wanted to ask him because I'm a huge Tomorrow person fan. And he uh, he was in the Tomorrow people. So I always wanted to ask him about his experience in the Tomorrow people. Uh, and I figured that would probably throw him since everyone's probably talking about Star Wars. Now I, now, know, I that know that Ford, Ford has, has been to, to uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the stunt the show. Did you actually, you actually meet him there? there? He hasn't come since I worked there. Um, I think I've heard that he has come there, but um, no, I have not met Harrison Ford. Hmm. All right, so All right, moving, so moving on. on um, uh, well, actually, did you have anything else uh, that, that you wanted to throw in about... Uh, about uh, the studios or, or anything up till now? Me? Yeah. yeah. Or, or Chris, did you have any questions about uh, anything so far? Oh, I wouldn't know where to begin. <laughs> all right. So anyway, um, all right. So moving on from uh, the Disney Hollywood Studios. So now you're going to Disney's Animal Kingdom, which we, we teased a little bit about where you were going to in the beginning of this episode. Um, but first, I want to ask you what what is your what are your personal feelings um, on that park? If you feel like you can say and and what you'll be doing there at the Animal Kingdom? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Wow, well, it's, an, it's a new species of theme park. <laughs> uh, it is not a zoo. Um, no, I, they, they, every park, when it first opens, has its challenges. You know, you, uh, you only have so much money, and of course it takes a, an incredible amount of money to um, start a park from scratch. And the Animal Kingdom, as, mo- as the studios did when it first opened, there wasn't a whole lot to do. So the Animal Kingdom has worked over the years. In fact, it's 10 years old now, believe it or not. It's actually been around for 10 years. And um, it's spent a lot of time and money um, on improving things and adding more stuff, like the Everest ride, which I think is a good thing for that park. Oh, you know, absolutely. It, that, that ride is absolutely amazing. So they're definitely on the right track, um, and it's still, you know, I think it's number four or number five in theme parks in the world, most atten- you know attended. So it's not, you know, doing a bad job. Um, so you know, it's 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 a fun park, um, and it's got some great stuff in it. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to 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 join that area. It's it's exciting for me to start something new. You know, it's funny when you work at a a park like the studios for nine years um you know you know the park like the back of your hand you know all the intricacies ins and outs and storylines and things like that and then you come to the animal kingdom i'm like oh i hope no one asks me where the restrooms are because i you know i have no idea so um so that's you know a a big (laughs) learning for me um so it's kind of exciting to um but it's just a big learning curve you know you, you just don't know anything you don't know anyone you don't know uh where anything is and um so we're getting there day by day, you know, learning a little bit more each day. So that's fun. Now you now are going on to, um, I'm not sure what the official name is, but it, it, it's Finding Nemo. Is it Finding Nemo the Musical? Is that what it's called? That's it. Yep. Yes. Now, uh, now I got to see this for the first time um, my last visit there. Again, I'm saying, you know, I'm not a big show person. I was impressed with... The, the I don't know what you would call it, you know, like the, 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 the technical side of it. I thought it was a technological marvel. I'm not big on musicals. I, I, I feel sorry for you in the aspect of that song would drive me nuts. The big blue. I'm just not crazy about the song. But, I, but it's an absolute technological marvel, I thought, in, in the costumes the creatures, the different special effects. I thought that was really cool. I, I, I mean, what, what do you think about the show yourself? Well, I, um, I absolutely think it's definitely the most theatrical show that we have. It's the closest thing you're going to get to a Broadway-style show in the parks, uh, well, at least it, in Disney World. Um, it's very similar to like the Aladdin show at Disneyland. For any of your listeners who have gone to see the Aladdin show, it's produced by the same people that did the Aladdin show out there. Um, it's the musical score is written by Bobby Lopez, who is um, the com- one of the composers from Avenue Q. Uh, of course, it's a much different lyric base. Yeah, you know, yeah, family yeah, yeah. Um, But same composer. Uh, and um, it's it, if you've seen Lion King on Broadway or if you've seen, you know, uh, advertisements for the Lion King show on Broadway, this is um, similar to that. And Julie Taymor and her vision – uh, of how to get Lion King on Broadway um, has really, you know, started this new trend uh, and has allowed shows like Nemo to exist where you have um, puppets that are the characters, but the performers, instead of being like puppeteers kind of hidden behind the scenes, they are are incorporated into um, the character through their costume, um, through their facial expressions as they 
maneuver the puppet and thing, things like that. So um, it's really taken um, puppetry to a new level. It's kind of merged puppetry and live singing into one environment. And uh, so I think that's neat. And um, as a stage manager, it's a heck of a lot of fun. You've got so many things happening and moving and um, just making it all happen. And that, that you know, it's exciting. I've, uh, I just finished today. It was just the end of my second week there. And there's two positions. There's a stage manager backstage and a stage manager in the booth, which is very much like they have on Broadway. And uh, so it's fun. And uh, I get to do different things, which is which is neat. Now, now could you ever, could you ever see yourself transitioning into the, the Broadway side of things, or are you pretty content in the parks? Um, or is that well, is that you, two different beasts? Well – Yes and no. I mean, they're very similar. Um, I could certainly step into something like that. Um, a lot of our stage managers, you know, have come from Broadway shows uh, and have gone on to Broadway shows from Disney. So it certainly is in the realm of possibility. Um, that is not necessarily anything that I'm personally thinking about right now. Uh, I, I think something that I would probably more move into would be like we're building the new cruise, the cruise ships. Uh, that are being built over in Germany, and uh, I might look into possibly helping to get those cruise ships open with the entertainment side of things. I think that would be a, you know really fun, and then I'd get to spend some time in Germany, so that that wouldn't be bad. Um, so, you know that that may be more of my line. I, you know that's what I like about Disney is there's so many different things you can do with the company, but still be within the same company. And uh, so I, you know, I'm happy where I am. So I I think that I just would probably be sticking within the the realm of uh, of down here for right now. Where, where uh, in, in the the, the long term picture, um, where where do you see yourself uh, moving on from from Nemo and just you know future future jobs positions that sort of thing? And, and I guess more importantly, um, I mean, where would you want to go? What what for you would be like your Disney dream job? Well, my Disney dream job would be working somehow within the. Uh, film music of Disney. I mean, you know, Disney's got this legacy of so many things. You've got the pictures, you've got the parks, but you've also got the music. You know, Disney's music is has got a long tradition. I mean, so many songs, mm -hmm. you know, popular songs have come out of Disney. And uh, I mean, even down to Yoho, A Pirate's Life for Me, I mean, here you have, you know, a movie based on that, you know, that has that song in it now. Um, and then you've got, you know, your favorite attraction, Carousel of Progress, which is the longest running show in the history of the world. Thank you. Thank you. Matt. Matt. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, has the great, uh, great big beautiful tomorrow. Love that song. That's my ringtone on my phone right now. <laughs> uh, written by the great Sherman brothers. And, uh, so I just, I would love to be part of Disney film music in some fashion, whether it would be composing it, conducting it, working in the music library, um, you know, anything along those lines, that would be my ideal Disney dream job. That's cool. That's cool. So, uh, how, how long does a position like this typically, I mean, is there a, like a set time or, or they just kind of go by, by your personal, I, I don't want to say burnout, but whenever you basically go to them and say, okay, I'm ready to, to do something else. How, how does that commitment work? Um, there isn't really any kind of commitment. Um, it's, it's based on a few things, you know, they don't want you to get there and then go, you know, you need to spend some time there. 
Um, but, you know, I could, like at Indiana Jones, I was there for three and a half years because I loved it. Uh, so it depends on where they find your talents are needed. It also depends on, you know, shows come and go, you know, just like attractions come and go. Um, so they may decide one day down the road that Nemo has run its course and we're going to put a new show like Tarzan Rocks was the show before Nemo. We're in the exact same theater that Tarzan Rocks was in. It's just now a new show. And before Tarzan Rocks, it was um, Journey to Jungle Book. So this theater, the park's only 10 years old, but yet we've had three big shows in the same theater during that time. So, you know, that could change. Um, they could um, have a need for me somewhere else, or I could be say, you know what, I'm done. I'm ready to move on to something different. And uh, so then it's, it, it kind of goes both ways. Now, is the Lion King uh, show still there in the Animal Kingdom? Sure is. In fact, I think it's probably the number one rated show. Oh, well, that's good. Because uh, we missed it again the last time we were there, and the boys still haven't seen it. And, and one of these days, I, I want to make sure they see it because they're. I, I think they're kind of like me. They're kind of like, eh, we don't really want to go do a show. But I think once you, you get them in there, I think they'd be blown away by it. I think they would absolutely love it because uh, my wife and I went to see it. Um, I think it was our first visit to Disney we went. And, uh, and just loved it. And sadly, we just haven't made it back to it since, but I want to see it again. It, w- it was really neat. I, I like that show a lot. That's another good example of just the power of the music from that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Elton John lyrics and uh, Hans Zimmer's, um, well, Elton John's music, but Hans Zimmer's realization of that music into the African style and um, just the power of that. I mean, I still remember seeing the preview for The Lion King and the theaters and just that rumble because the preview was the whole opening sequence of the circle of life and that bass rumble that goes through the whole theater at that downbeat at the end of the song i mean that, that's that's how you test out your sound system at home by the way everyone there's a tip <laughs> put in the uh, disney dvd of the lion king and that'll test out your sound system for you yeah that is a great one my, my kids like to watch that movie now well, I guess we're about wrapped up with this. I, I was wondering if you've uh, if you've heard anything on these rumors for a uh, uh, a refurbishment for um, Star Tours because my understanding is it's not really been officially acknowledged, but it's it's pretty much out there. Do, do you know anything about that? Uh, I've only heard rumors. I heard that um, you know what you're talking about is the the, the ride Star Tours, which is at both. Well, actually, I think it's everywhere. It's at Disneyland. It's at Disney World. It's in uh, Paris, and I believe it's in Tokyo as well. And the uh, movie that it's a, it's one of those simulator rides where you um, <clears throat> you sit in there and there's a video going on in front of you, and you feels like you're actually in the uh, the movie that you're watching. Um, and the rumor that's been going around is that you know it's been wanting to be updated, um, and I think that rumor has come from maybe even Lucas um, and you know Disney wanting to update that movie. But I've heard that rumor. I've not heard anything more about it. I, I don't foresee it changing anytime soon. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I keep hearing that. I try to keep up with that one because that—that's one of those you know that—that's one of those cross-border type of things. You know it. it, it you know, it touches on Star Wars fans. It touches on Disney fans. But that—that's definitely one of my favorite attractions. And uh, as much as I love it, I, I can kind of see where they're leaning towards. You know, we need to—we need to clean it up. We need to maybe jazz it up a little bit. But I'm—I'm I'm hoping that it wouldn't be a drastic. You know, Lucas doesn't do so good when he goes back and and touches up his old. Yeah, exactly. So I—I I, I hope it's not a. You know, I hope we're not looking like at a special edition, you know. But. 
I mean, you know, you say that, but then you look back at the Star Wars episodes uh, 1, 2, and 3 and how much millions and billions of dollars it made. You can't really call it a flop either. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about when he when he went in and, like, special editionized the, the original trilogy. That I don't think that worked out to a whole lot of people's satisfaction. So I, But, no, I, I was really just making a, a lame joke, but... Uh, no, Star Tours, uh, Star Tours is really, I mean, it, it's a fan favorite. It's one of my favorites. But I, I would be curious, you know, I mean, with, with today's technology and, I mean, I, I look at some of the, the, the things coming out of Disney now like uh, um, Soren. Well, Soren and Mickey's Philhar Magic to me is, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, if they could do that, imagine, imagine in a few years if you went to movies at, at your local theater and they could do what Mickey's Philharmonic now Mickey's Philharmonic for for anyone who's not been um, Chris this movie now I'm not talking so much about the 3D aspect but it is a 3D movie you go into this movie Chris and it's it's uh, it's not a wraparound screen but it it pretty much fills the full periphery of your vision uh-huh. when it opens all the way up and it's it's I don't know really how to describe it. It's kind of like a chase movie through the Disney archive. You know, uh, Donald Duck loses Mickey's magical hat and he goes to find it. And in, in searching for it, he basically goes through several Disney pictures. He goes through like Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Peter Pan, all these movies. But what's so amazing about this movie is, you know, in the Beauty and the Beast sequence the napkins come out to dance and you can smell a fragrance coming off of them. Um, Donald comes out in 3d and holds a pie in your face and you can smell the pie in the sequence where it's doing Peter Pan and Peter and Wendy and the kids and Donald are all flying the winds in your face and you can feel, you know, the, the cold air and the breeze and, um, there's Never, not wa- since John Waters has there been smell-o-vision. <laughs> I mean, well, you know that was um, that was all originally Walt Disney's idea. That was one of his interventions. He always wanted to have back even with Snow White. He wanted to have that 4D experience in your movies. Uh-huh. He, he wanted uh-huh. he wanted you to go in, and he wanted you to feel the forest around you and smell the forest and and visually. So all he wanted all five senses to be involved. And that's basically where we've come to with some of these attractions, and uh, and that you know movies are getting there with the IMAX, you know, and uh, with 3D and things like that. And, you know, they were adding smell, and uh, and that's where they're going. It also takes those the old Disney classics and they turn them into three into um, what's called 3D animation. And that, I don't mean that to say um, you know like with the glasses. It's um it's like watch, watching a Pixar movie. You know how it's all digital. Uh, yeah, so they it's can very actually they manipulate it. Yeah, I tell you what, I would be perfectly happy if all they did with Star Tours is went in, maybe digitally jazzed it up a little bit, but added a smellitzer and like in the in the parts where the ship takes a hit, you can smell like burnt circuitry or something like that, and and I, I would I would be happy with that. But I mean that that is one of those attractions that if they if they could do that totally immersive, 4D like you were saying. Wow, I mean, imagine Star Tours with PhilharMagic's technology, and that—that that to me, just that, just the thought really boggles me. I think that could really, really be cool. But uh, did you have anything else, Chris? 
No, the only thing I thought of that that, that reminded me of something um, that pertains to Rochester is uh, the Lion King, the original Lion King um, Broadway show was the choreographers from here, from Rochester. His name's uh, Garth Fagan. Oh, wow. And yeah. he has a dance troupe here, an African dance troupe, and he's the one who they came up with, they, they sort of had the idea for doing puppets and stuff and and he was yeah he was the original he came up with the original choreography I was so going to say it's really a, fact. I was going to say it's a small world but I've been enough of a cornball in this episode yeah, probably right. so <laughs> well you said it anyway <laughs> I said it anyway um well Mark we're uh, we're pushing the clock so we're probably going to wrap this up um You've been an absolute uh, delight and a personal thrill for me to have you on the show. Um, I've wanted to grill you on some of these questions for the longest time, so we've done it in, a, I hope, a professional-sounding forum. Um, we've got to have you back, man. I mean, you are you are like super, super knowledgeable and, and probably the most uh, knowledgeable person I know on uh, film scores and, uh, and John Williams in particularly. You know, Chris and I in our in our second episode we did a uh, a Spielberg filmology. I would love to do something like that with, say, uh, John Williams or uh, the late great uh, uh, Jerry uh, Jerry Goldsmith, um, James Hunt, any of those guys. Um, I'd love to do that. And I'm sorry, Jerry Goldsmith. Just uh, his fourth year of uh, his passing just came a couple days ago. Oh. On July 21st, and Cinemagic, I don't know if anyone has XM Radio out there, but Cinemagic played a whole day dedicated to just Jerry Goldsmith music, and it was really great. Oh, wow. Wow, that was nice. That's great for them. Yeah, we've been, uh, my wife and I have been uh, talking about tangents. My wife and I have been car shopping, and that's actually one of the things that's, that we're, we're leaning towards heavily is making sure that we have uh, XM for that, that Cinemagic channel, because you, you got me hooked on it the last time we were down there. <laughs> but uh well yeah like i said definitely want to have you back uh talk some film score music and uh and also um one thing uh chris and i were talking about now you are you are a huge huge doctor who fan who now, <laughs> yes who so you know i you know my brain's like a sieve i can remember watching it as a kid chris really got me into a lot of british television and unfortunately the only thing that really seems to have ever stuck was uh was monty python's flying circus and uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i can remember watching doctor who back in the tom baker days as a kid and i i don't remember anything but uh, i would love to uh, to do an episode just talking about Doctor Who, you know, just really from the perspective of, you know, I, I'd like to get into it, don't know where to start, you know, tell me all about it kind of thing. So, uh, got Chris for. I have, I'm sorry. I'm s- so that's what you have Chris for. Oh, okay. <laughs> I also have a recording of my band doing the Doctor Who theme. Oh, wow. At that some would be- point that we could play in between. <laughs> no, no, not, not mixed with the Gary Glitter. <laughs> it was just straight up. That was a pretty good version right there. Yeah, not bad. Was, That's uh, a, sort of the country version. <laughs> the one that Mark's talking about, I actually have that on a, on a special edition disc somewhere. It was the Time Lords. It's the same yes. Five times, but yeah, I have that on disc somewhere. Well, we're gonna wrap it up for now, I guess. Um, anything else, add, Mark? 
Um, no, thanks very much. This has been um, actually quite fun. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Cool. I'm glad you've had a good time because we, we had a ball. Yeah, it was great meeting you, and I think this has actually been our most fascinating show yet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Tell the truth. Your listeners, um, come down to uh, Disney World. Uh, have them stop by Nemo and ask for Mark. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. They, they, they would love to meet you. You, you will... You will never meet a nicer guy or a nicer cast member than, than Mark. He's, he's a heck of a guy, and, uh, and uh, I'm honored to call him my friend. Well, we're going to wrap up. This has been Two True Freaks. Um, you can reach us through our Gmail. It's twotruefreaks at gmail.com. That's T-W-O, truefreaks at gmail.com. Um, I'm Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell. Take care. Phone numbers. It's five five five. Not yet. We're hoping maybe eventually. We're we're working on getting a forum set up, so they they just got to be patient with us. But uh, we'll let them know when that comes through. All right. Take care, everybody, and uh, have a Disney day.